Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Window. I'm Dr. Joanna Williamson, and for those of you who listen to us regularly, you know that I'm usually joined in the studio by my partner in crime, my co-host, my sorority sister, my good friend, Dr. Iris Cooper, and she's still here with us today, but I'm not looking at her in the studio. She's on the road, and so she's calling in today. How are you, Dr. I? Oh, good afternoon, Dr. Joe. I am doing just fine. Um, I am um, down in Georgia at St. Simon's Island, Mm. which um, kind of connects to somewhat of our topic today, but I'll I'll talk about that later. But um, I'm just glad that uh, I'm able to call in and join you today. Well, I'm going to share with our audience that you're down there for vacation and you're down there with family, but you're also there for a milestone. So happy belated birthday to you. Thank you so much. And I've had an epiphany with this birthday. After going through 2020, um, I've learned a a lot about how important life is. And um, my epiphany is that if I can turn bad into good in any situation that's what my purpose is birthday epiphanies are always a good birthdays are a good thing and birthday epiphanies are an even better thing so thank you for sharing that with us and and we're going to hold you to that as as another year goes by and of course we have no idea what the future holds but there are those of us in church who know what the remainder of that is we know who holds the future and so absolutely so that's a beautiful thing so thank you for taking Mm -hmm. time out from your time away to join us on this fourth of july weekend this independence Mm -hmm. day weekend in the united states of america and of course those folks who know even a bit about american history know that this symbolizes the day when um we loosely speaking um gained our freedom kind of sort of from from the british colonies and so that's actually what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about american history but an extraordinarily important part of american history and that is the history of african americans and others who are not the majority in this country but who are an integral part of making this country what it is and as always dr i you and i are going to reflect but we're going to be joined here by experts calling in and in the studio you're going to help us zero in on this thing called history and the significance of that for those of us who are of African descent in particular. So let me start, though, Dr. I, by saying that, you know, we always try to share with our audience something that they can do, not just take away from our guests, which is important, but something they can do to advance the causes we're talking about. So when we're talking about our history, let's talk about our personal history. I know folks, I have not personally done this, but I know folks who have spent time um, signing up for for different types of DNA programs and history Mm -hmm. tracking programs. And even back in the day, I have cousins who used to go to the library and the city halls and the county to pull together their family history. Have you done that? Have you traced your own family history? Um, Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because just last week, a biracial woman contacted two people in my family, including me, with a 23andMe account of how we were connected. And, and this woman went all the way back 
to the Civil War area, and she connected her lineage to three brothers that were named Connard way back when, who I am a descendant of, and we're still trying to figure out if it's legitimate or not. But in the current context, we have a very active family reunion um, a pattern. We've done this for probably 30 years now, and I think it's so important that we teach our children who they are, where they came from, and, and so they have a sense of connection, a sense, sense of loyalty, a sense of belonging, and a sense of pride that we lasted. We survived all of the attempts to destroy us. And that is so critical, again, as we begin to focus on American history for the for the rest of the hour, to not only know who our family is, but the role that our family played in what, in what you just called survival. What did we do to get mm-hmm. to where we are now? So here's a question for you, Dr. I, and for our guests as we prepare to introduce them, and for our audience. And I've said this to several people, and they've kind of rolled their eyes as though it's not important. I think it is. Have you traced your own individual history? and recorded that for your kids because when we die I would hope somebody cares enough about us to say you know what I I didn't know much about let me trace her history so while we're living why don't we just write it down things that we might not think are important now but our kids 75 years from now when we're gone would love to know where we worked and whether we won an award or who our best friend was. Have you done that? Have you recorded your own personal history? Have you written that down? I have written accounts, but here's what my plan is this year. I'm going to record myself talking to my children about my life Uh and what was important and what was an impediment and how I was nurtured by my parents and my values. I'm going to do it myself this year in honor of my XX birthday. That's great. That's great. And what I um, am going to do, oddly enough, I have a 25-year-old son, and he knows more about my family history than I do. And the reason he knows that is because of what I guess in theory we would call our, 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 our racist oral history tradition so when he was younger he stayed at my parents house so often after school and on the weekends and he just talked to them and he listened to them and he asked them questions and so if there's something I need to know about my parents I can usually go to him and he can usually give me a pretty good summary of it we did compile my parents history for their 50th anniversary before they passed away and we put together a video and there was just so much we didn't know about them where they met where they grew up where their first house house was things that they just didn't think were of interest because it was their day to day so I confess I have not done this I'm going to I'm going to put it away I'm going to write it down I'm going to put it away somewhere um, and and hopefully somebody generations from now will care enough to pull that out and say well at least we don't have to pay to get a company to tell us about her 
But I would encourage everybody in our audience to just take the time to be sure that people know you and not just about you, as Dr. I said, but what is it that makes your family your family? Even if it's not a great story, give your child something to aspire to. Either I want to be like granddad or I don't want to be like cousin Ray Ray or I really am somebody even though my family is going through something. Here's what they did to survive. So that's our homework assignment for our our listeners. Once you... Once you get over your holiday hangovers, that's something to begin doing right now to to record your history. So it is 4th of July weekend, and we have one guest on the line and one guest on studio, and I'm going to start out by asking our on-the-line guest to introduce himself. I know him as a consultant for who for many years has been out in the trenches, putting his money where his mouth is, working primarily from my perspective with our kids and with our young people and with our parents, stressing the importance of not just learning names of African-American figures and heroes, that's very important, but really trying to integrate our culture and an understanding of who we are into our schools and into our families. So Akko Kamban, good morning and welcome to the to the window. Well, good morning, good afternoon. How's everybody doing? I I was so in, involved in the conversation and listening, I forgot that I was supposed to have something to say. <laughs> uh, so to my sister, Dr. I, it is wonderful to hear you and, and, and to celebrate your twenty first. Um I am I, I I tell you what, I am so excited about not only being on this show but the, the topic. Um, because I have started doing exactly what you have asked, and, and there's a reason, a method to my madness. Um, but there's, there's a lot to be said here. Here's the first thing. We have to be careful and that we have to control the narrative as a people mm-hmm. and not allow others to define for us what we ought to be excited about. Um, for example, uh, I, I'm a little concerned that uh, senators who are extremely conservative can give us uh, a holiday, a federal holiday, mm-hmm. in 48 hours and call it Juneteenth, and then two days later uh, fail to pass the voting rights mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, bill. There, there, there's, there's a problem with that with me. But So I would rather focus on the voting rights bill than having uh, an extra day off as a holiday, despite the fact that that day is extremely important in our history. So that's kind of like what I try to look at, and that's the political narrative, and we have to be careful as a people. But now, let me go back to um, your question to Dr. I. I have um, started to look back, and I have been able to go back 120 years um, in, in terms of uh, our family, and uh, and I was kind of excited about that because I know people have gone back much further than that, and I applaud them, And, and but I, I decided to do that simply because my great-great-grandfather left us um, 300 acres of land wow. in Alabama. And, uh, and, and we still have that land. And so we, in fact, in two weeks on, on the 18th of this month, we're going down to take a look at it and see what else we might uh, begin to do. And, I, and I'm ready to turn that over to my daughters. I have three daughters, and I'm ready to turn the land over to them and let them see what they can do with it uh, uh, now that I have reached a, a different milestone in life but uh but it's very very interesting when you go back and and the last point i want to make before you maybe ask a couple quick questions and that is um one of the reasons as a people we have not addressed the issues of um history uh 
personal history as well, is that it has been painful. Mm-hmm. And when I talked with my grandmother about, you know, certain things, I said, well, Mom, tell me a little bit about your mother. And, you know, what? she said, nah, well, I don't want, I don't want to talk about those times. You know, mm-hmm. it's because it was very painful mm-hmm. for her to recall the things that, uh, that she saw and the things that she heard as a result of uh, the family history. But I have to liken it to... Um, biological pain that we have. Um, If you have a pain that's reoccurring, or if you have a family illness that's reoccurring, if you have some condition that you see occurring over and over again, you really need to study that to get to the genesis so that you can tell tell your family member, hey, listen, there's breast cancer that is in our family. There's uh, colon cancer, or there's there's Mm -hmm. high blood pressure. There's, I mean, it's painful to talk about, but it's, it's also prescriptive. And that is, it will help the next generation of people who are coming behind you. So it's painful, but it's prescriptive. And that's what I really want to kind of get our people to understand. Mm-hmm. I do. And now, and, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I have a number of questions based on what you just said. And Dr. I just okay. sent me a text message. She can't kick me under the table like she normally does. So she sent me a text. There was something she wanted to, to bring in as well. Okay. okay. Yes. Um, first of all, let me say, Akko... We miss you. We miss you. Oh, bless you. We miss you. We miss your wife, your girls. And I woke up this morning with Benjamin Banneker off my mind. Oh, wow. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You made a difference with our children that has not been replaced. And I'm going to say that, and I believe it. And my point with uh, separation is we lose history when our families yeah. are separated. And that was yeah. deliberate. Um, I, that's why we're trying to pull it together now because we were not supposed to connect the dots with yeah. Yeah. my mother and my daughter. I couldn't figure out, why does my daughter have such a, a, a inclination to mathematics? I didn't get it. My, mm-hmm. my mom had it. But I'm just now thinking that you know, that could have been what she got from my mother, but I wasn't supposed to connect the dots. And you mm-hmm, made a difference. Mm-hmm. So th- mm-hmm. so can you just talk about separation as it extends even today with our families? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, 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 and there's a lot to be, uh, to be said about this, and, and I don't want to go, in, I guess, too deep in this, but, but let, me, let me share a couple of things. Um, I'm going to start out where you, where you, you kind of left off. That is, it was intentional. And they knew that uh, the best way to hold the people down is to keep them apart. And, um, and that's from, from, a, from a people standpoint or from a family standpoint. Uh, I don't know if I'll bring it up a little bit more current. At one point, the legislation said that if, you were, if women were to receive uh, certain kinds of subsidies from the government, that there could be no male living in the household. And that was intentional. That was not accidental. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, it was designed to keep families. And in this case, it didn't matter to them whether it was black or brown or, or just poor white people, that, that they, they wanted to keep them separated. Now, bringing it up a little closer uh, to where we are now, um, one of the, the major dividing factors now is wealth or the lack of wealth. 
And uh, and we are finding now that more and more African-Americans and more and more people of brown um, uh, heritage uh, are finding themselves in the middle and upper middle income class of people. And they, too, are now starting to uh, adopt some of the behaviors of the previous group of people who were in that that uh, that wealth um, class. They are starting to say, well, them and they and, and, and those people and et cetera, because now they have ascended, if you will, into another economic class. Well, that's why I said we have to be very careful about the, the, uh, allowing other people to control the narrative, because as we have found time and time again, when we are discriminated against, it is not about class. It is not about wealth. It's about color uh, and, and culture. And so uh, I live in, in Atlanta now, and, and uh, one of the um, uh, great icons, uh, African-American uh, icons here is Dominique Wilkins. And Dominique went to, um, to a restaurant, and uh, they refused to serve him. And, and so he's now, you know, incensed that this restaurant refused to, to serve him. And, uh, and they said it was because of how he was dressed. And, and so what we find is that Dominique had probably enough uh, capital to, to pay the salary of the people who were denying him the opportunity uh, to, to, uh, to eat, if not by the restaurant. So all of a sudden, it's not about uh, capital or money. It's about uh, what they looked at, and that is culture and, and race. So the best thing that we can do as a people is to not um, get caught up in um, what other people have defined as success because our success in this country and in many parts of the world is defined not by the amount of wealth that we have, but but also uh, by basically who we are and what culture we represent. So we cannot separate ourselves based on wealth, and that's kind of what's happening right now. So for those of you who are listening in, our conversation so far has kind of resembled what friends do when they get together at the 4th of July cookout. They just pick up where they left off the last time they got together (laughs) and have a conversation. So I'm going to backtrack for just a minute. For those of you who might not be from Central Ohio and might not know Akko Kamban, Akko's president of Visionary Leaders Institute, and he's just a, if you can't already tell, he's just a dynamic motivational speaker and trainer. He's most known, though, for the fields of educational consulting and for uh, designing and conducting leadership seminars for public and private educational institutions. Among the roles he served formally is he was executive administrator of the Ohio Commission on African American Males, and he even created a school here in Central Ohio for African American males who were at risk of entering the Ohio penal system. And so when we say, gee, we really miss you in, in Central Ohio, he just told us that he moved to Atlanta, but his work is really national in its reach. His his wife, some of you may be familiar with his wife, Hanifa Kambon, who was an educator in the Columbus area for many years and also a member of the Board of Education of Columbus City Schools. And so ACO has quite a track record, not only locally, but again nationally in talking to our 
students and our families and our schools and, and, and private partners and funders about what it is we need to do. I would characterize it as what it is that we need to do to ensure that everybody in our, in our society is successful, especially for those for whom systemic barriers have long been in place um, that, that blocks our success and how we move forward in spite of that. And so uh, again, to come full circle back to our conversation about the 4th of July weekend, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna start all the way at slavery and we're gonna work our way up to the present. We're also <laughs> going to introduce to you our other guest, our in-studio guest, who has done very impressive academic work on theories, some of which you've heard about recently as a flashpoint about racism in America. We'll be right back on the window. We're back on the window. I'm Dr. Joanna Williamson, and on the line, we have my co-host, Dr. Iris Cooper. We also have Akko Kamban, and we just spent some time talking about the fact that this is the 4th of July weekend. Our history is important, and so we are going to introduce our in-studio guests as well to join in the conversation with Akko and Dr. I, but I'm going to go all the way back to when my ancestors were um, invited to this country um, on boats in which they were um, simplistically put stacked on top of each other for a very long and unpleasant boat ride brought over here for what some would argue were economic purposes because we need more essential workers especially those who work for no money and I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek primarily because I just get so weary I really get physically and emotionally tired of hearing that this week I was also in Georgia where where Akko lives now and where Dr. I is vacationing I was in Savannah Georgia and I took the black history tour and so once again I listened to the history of our people and how we arrived on these shores and then yesterday I had the privilege of entertaining house guests from Los Angeles, one of whom is in the Midwest for the first time. And so to acquaint him with Ohio and what we're known for, how to impress somebody born and raised in Los Angeles, we took him to Cincinnati, Ohio, to the Underground Railroad Museum um, so he could see how Ohio factored into the history of slavery. When you came across that Ohio River, there was a point in time when you were free, but then they moved the line up to Canada. And so once again, we heard that very painful history. We have in studio right now someone who is going to impress you with her academic credentials, but I want her to impress you with what it is she's studying. Because as we continue to talk about our history and black history, I, I, I want to zero in on one concept that's become such a flashpoint that it's becoming distracting from the types of things that Dr. I and Akko and I would like our guests to take away. And so I'm going to introduce to you Dr. Joanne Lunsford, and she is a scholar in addition to working in community corrections. That's what she refers to the criminal justice system as. She's worked in community corrections for the past 25 years, but she decided to add to her already very impressive academic credentials. She has a bachelor's in Miami of Ohio, a bachelor's degree in Black World Studies and Political 
political science. She has a master's in social work from Case Western University in Cleveland. And she recently got her doctorate in social work, a professional doctorate from USC, the University of Southern California. And so I'm going to ask her to say hello, but I'm also going to ask her to share with you the name of her capstone project for her doctoral program. So Dr. Joanne Lunsford, also Dr. J, welcome to the window. Oh, well, thank you, Dr. Joe. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much, and Dr. I, for allowing me to share your space today. And what was the name of your capstone? We need about five pieces of paper to write it down, <laughs> but there's a reason that I want our audience to hear every word of the name of your capstone. Well, my capstone studies uh, focused on eliminating racism overcoming the barriers to achieving racial equality by utilizing critical race theory, cognitive-based approaches, and social learning modalities. So, threatening, but it really, really simply talks about how um, we have barriers to overcoming racial equality, right? Uh, and, some of, and a lot of that, so a lot of my research, basically this is saying it's on race and cognition. It's saying that we have to deal with things like white privilege that, and we have to deal with white fragility and white idolization, which is actually a new term that I've actually coined, but it's an old concept. And, and life gets so busy, I'm going to finish this article and get it published on it so that everybody else can be introduced to this. Um, we're also talking about white meritocracy, white rage, implicit bias. And what um, Mr. Akokambon was talking about, the pain and trauma that's in the non-dominant cultures. Oftentimes you'll hear me talk about dominant cultures and non-dominant cultures as opposed to majority cultures and, and minority cultures. Because when we're talking about majority and minority, we're talking about numbers. We're talking about the numbers. And the numbers... Um, as disappointed as they are, they're not the true um, problem. The true problem is when we talk about the dominance and the non-dominance. So the dominant culture is the culture that has the access to the power. They have access to the resources and power. And the non-dominant cultures lack the asset access to the resources and powers. And that's really where the power differential comes from. And when we're talking about critical race theory, it's a theory that was actually entered Dr. Bell, Dr. Derek Bell actually started this theory really in the late 1970s, around 76, 77, when he was talking about the, the civil rights movement. Is it going to be enough to actually attack all the racial injustice and racial issues that are happening in this country? It was later, you, when, later when you hear about Kimberly Crenshaw, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw and others in the early 90s that really brought it into the law school's um, um, curriculum when they were talking about let's critical race theory basically said hey you know we have race is so an intricate part of our society it's in, it's woven into every fabric of the United States and that's legal that's um, economic that's social that's media that's every transportation every discipline that exists uh, race is a problem there and so then and so critical race theory is saying that through this, a whole dynamic has been created where those with the access to the power and, and um, resources have then been um, categorized that allow this white supremacy to, to, to be created that then sustains and actually permeates through everything else. And let me bring this down because I don't want to use academic words. So basically saying that it, it critical race theory is saying then that we have race that's a part of everything and then it and so then you have the white people in power and you have those who aren't white not in power. And so in, in having um, and being more of a press situation, which we have these inequalities where we have schools that have 
um, that are that are majority of those in a dominant culture that have access to not only um, classes that prepare them for college and that um, expose them to things like stocks and bonds and economic freedom, and then we have those education systems that are in non um, dominant culture that are heavily primarily dominated by non-dominant culture individuals that don't have that equal access and how does that then affect their trajectory in life and so when we have people who are challenging that we're talking about those cognitive barriers that were the subject of our um, of my studies that's basically saying you have people saying wait a minute this this critical they're demonizing criminal race theory and saying all these bad things that are happening are because of criminal uh, uh, critical race theory and so what they're really saying is that critical race theory is challenging their power and their privilege and it's taken away some of those advantages that have come because of that so if you've listened to Dr. Lunsford very carefully, first you know she's extremely intelligent and extremely well studied. And so that in and of itself is frightening to some people, to be very honest. But also you will note that she's talking at a very high academic level and she's using terms that have come to be flashpoints in our society so oh my gosh I'm clutching my pearls white rage white supremacy social dominance and the newest scary term critical race theory and so from my perspective because it's my show and Dr. Eyes, and we get to reflect. From my perspective, critical race theory is being added by some in the mainstream to that scary list of flash phrases. So if we say socialism, fascism, Black Lives Matter, and now critical Marxism. race theory, Marxism, Leninism, it gets people so afraid and they're not even quite sure what they're afraid of, that all of a sudden it becomes a bad thing, but it also comes to symbolize other things that it really doesn't symbolize. And so I want you to understand that the fact that she's talking about it as a high-level scholar means that it's highly unlikely that critical race theory is being taught to your kindergarten student. Exactly. Very, very great point. Because when you have these stories in the news about people bombarding school board meetings, stop teaching critical race theory in my schools and you got to get rid of this. And you're like, no, critical race theory actually is not being taught K through 12. Critical race theory is a theory amongst many that are taught to legal scholars in, in law school so that they can take so that they can learn about it and say, how do I take this in account when I am influencing others? Right. And so about the whole race issue. And so when you're talking about the school systems, we may talk about there. There's some introduction that's going on with race and inequality and things like that. But that is completely not critical race theory. Um, it's saying, hey, sometimes we're talking about these inequities or these inequalities and how things just aren't fair in this world to certain people because of the color of their skin in the schools from K through 12. So that there's a grasp and there's an understanding that, hey, you know what? Everybody has different experiences in this life. And it's not fair when those who have certain skin colors have a disadvantage in life or a bad experience simply because the color of their skin and we're talking so we're, we're talking about is humanity we're talking about 
how everyone is human and how do we treat everyone as human. I like that. So when an Akokamban then goes out and talks to schools and talks to families and talks to parents about how our children must know who they are and who their history is as the foundation for everything they're going to learn and become, what we don't want to happen is that someone is going to stand up and say, here he goes talking that critical race theory again, and we know that that's a big bad boogeyman. Exactly, Dr. And Joe. And we should not teach that. Exactly. Okay. All right. So, Akko, now that we've cleared the path for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. In fact, I was enjoying, uh, enjoying. I'm sitting in the car in, in uh, 90 degree weather um, with my air conditioner on, uh, just kind of um, enjoying the conversation. In fact, I enjoy listening to, to, to uh, great minds, uh, as Dr. Lumford. Thank you so much. Uh, let, let me just share this. And, 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 uh, um, Dr. Williamson, you know, you were, you were, um, you, your job is to bring us full circle, but let me just go back before I, I forget to, to just thank you, uh, to thank Dr. I for, uh, moving our people to the next level, uh, through this program. I, I haven't had a chance to talk to, uh, my Rev, Reverend Mike Reeves or to, uh, Reverend Mel Griffin, uh, to those who have created this, uh, this, this opportunity uh, by owning the the the, uh, the station, if you will, that allows this conversation to take place, and this is why I, I, I'm saying that I firmly believe that we've got to move into areas where we control the narrative. That is, we control how it is presented to our people. That we control the information and that is put into our community. Unfortunately, for years and to a large extent now, still. Uh, the, the, the control of that information has been in hands of people who really are not interested in the betterment of our people and not interested in seeing our people ever obtain anything that uh, is of value, whether that's money or power. I mean, just anything of value. They don't want to see us uh, uh, acquire it. So to kudos to you, all of you who are working to make that happen now. Now, now I'll go back to your question. Um, there is, in, 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 in the field that I'm in, I'm going into schools all around the country, and I find that um, uh, as a people, we are still relying on people who have historically shown us that they are not going to uh, teach the truth. We are still relying on them to teach the truth and to uh, prepare, better prepare our children to compete in the world uh, marketplace. It has not worked in the past. I do not believe it is going to work in the future. So I am convinced that, that we as a people have to begin to teach our own children history. We have to teach them uh, and, and going back to where you said, have we written down information that, that our uh, personal information about ourselves and about our family? And, our, and the answer, by and large, is no, we haven't. And we need to not only begin to write it down, but then to share it with all the other people that we come in contact with. Because the schools are never going to do that. And unfortunately, we are treating schools as if it, it, is the, it has the responsibility to liberate us, and it does not. It was never designed for that. The school was not designed as a place for liberation for our, for our, 
for thought for our people. It was designed for a sole different person, uh, purpose, and that is the perpetuation of the system that, mm. uh, that they are now under. So what I'm hoping we will do is see the necessity to begin to speak truth uh, to our children as parents. And, and I'm going well, to ask. We must first learn that. Yes, and I'm going Go to ahead. ask you in just a moment how. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that Dr. <clears throat> I's fingers must be weary by now from texting me <laughs> because she said just what you said. As soon as you said it, she had just sent me a message saying, We must all be teachers of the truth, black history. I don't know yes. if she wants to yes. elaborate on that or if she was in your amen corner even before you said it. And also, um, Dr. Joanne wants to make a comment here in the studio. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm going to jump in here because um, I can remember being in elementary school at, uh, in Evansville, Indiana, which is a stone's throw from the Kentucky state line, and uh, being separated from the handful of black students in my classroom because I was vocal, my parents taught me to speak up, and I was put into another kind of uh, isolation so that I wouldn't influence the other black students. I guess I've always had a big mouth. And um, I think now we have to tell children at every level that you have a right, a God-given right to open up your mouth and listen and tell the truth and tell people who you are. And not be afraid of it, not be ashamed of who you are. We should all be um, black and I'm proud. But they don't want that in the educational system. They want us to be passive. They want us to fade into the, the atmosphere and be totally immobile. And that's wrong. I think those are wonderful points. And just going back to um, what uh, Mr. Combo was talking about, when we're, at, we're talking about the importance of students and kids and everyone learning our education it goes back to one of my facets of my studies when we're talking about trauma and pain part of the reason we can't get racial racial equality in this country is because of the trauma and pain that has been imposed on non-dominant cultures through everything that happens from growing in growing up in non-dominant cultures and if we and, and if we teach part of the history and going back to the genealogy and learning that, which I'm proud to say we have my mother my mother's side back to when slaves were actually Africans were actually brought over as slaves. And and so having that importance because it also manifests itself in our communities and we're talking about the violence in our communities. Until we deal with that, we can't deal with the violence in our community because it's a manifestation of the trauma and pain that has been gone on from living in these comp these um living as in, in the non dominant communities. And so I think that is so important, and we have to get it into our schools and to deal with it. And what a great this. point we've talked about stopping the violence here. And and so thank you for making that point. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. Spend the rest of our show talking about the how. Now that we've uncovered the problem, what do we do about this when we come back on the window? We are back on the window this 4th of July weekend, 
and we have in our studio Akko Kambon, a premier educational consultant, also Dr. Joanne Lunsford, who just completed her doctoral work focusing on critical race theory, and of course my co-host, Dr. I. And so in our last segment for today, we always like to leave our guests with a, hopefully you've learned something, now what? And so we've already talked about the fact that we're not only celebrating, if we are, I think I'm having a cookout at least. We're not only celebrating the 4th of July, but also the fact that just weeks ago, we had Juneteenth turned into a national holiday celebrating when the word got around the country that slavery had ended and that we're kind of free-ish, although as our guest pointed out, there's legislation right now pending, for example, to try to roll us way back in terms of our voting rights. And there's also legislation pending that makes it a scary kind of thing to teach our history in our classrooms. And so just before the break, we were talking about our responsibility to teach our children, and not only our children, but adults, and also people of other races. I happen to believe that there are some teachers, black, white, every color in schools, who might teach more about us if only they knew more about us. But they don't even know the recent specials about the atrocities that took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma when Black Wall Street was burned down. There were so many people who had never even heard of that and didn't know the details. So so kudos to people who have more control of the airways who are getting those stories across. But day to day, let's talk to our guests about day to day, what we do going forward. And this leads me to one of my pet peeves. I'm always the one who causes trouble on the show to just remind our viewers that parenting is not a spectator sport. Parenting is not sitting on the sidelines cheering when our child makes the the winning touchdown, even though that's a lot to cheer about. But parenting is an everyday grind with joys and pain, but we have a responsibility to raise our children, including educating them. So Akko, I'll start with you because I know that you've done work more and more recently with parents. What is it you would say to parents and grandparents and and everybody in the village right now about how is it we do what we're not confident the schools will ever do to the extent that it needs to happen, and that is to help us know who we are. I'll try to keep this, you know, um, keep my time limited because you have so many great minds uh, uh, on this uh, show. I, I, I think everybody uh, has a perspective that needs to be shared. Um, for me, the critical thing that we must do as a people is to expose our children to the knowledge, to the information, expose them to the information. And, and, and I love what you did when you said you had a house guest or, or someone who came in from uh, L.A. and you took them to Cincinnati uh, to take uh, um, uh, a tour of the Underground Railroad stage. I, I actually believe that the more we expose our children to things like the Underground Railroad, the more they will gain self-confidence. And the more they will be able to, as a sister, I, I think you said, uh, Sister Joanne uh, or something, yes. who said, I am going to uh, open my mouth because I now know truth. And, and when, you, when you can speak truth to, to power, <laughs> it changes the paradigm mm-hmm. altogether. And so what I'm saying is the solution is exposure. Now, that, that's too simplistic, but, but at least... That's where I want to start. So, and 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 uh, Dr. I was kind enough to talk about um, a program that we 
we created called um, Benjamin Banneker Summer Academy. What we attempted to do, one of the things we, we attempted to do, every Friday we took the, the students to a different location in the country. We didn't know. We, we left Cincinnati. <laughs> we, we went to Washington, D.C. We went to Philadelphia. We went to, to uh, um, NASA down in, in, in Florida. And the whole purpose was to expose them. And every child that has um, come into my, 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 my space since then said, you know what, Mr. Cambon, thank you for exposing us to the world. Now, here's what I'm trying to get our people to see. Our children need to be exposed, not sheltered from the truth. If we expose them, they will then begin to challenge what currently exists. So I'll leave it at that. So the first thing I want to say is exposure, and then we come back uh, if we have more time after um, uh, Dr. Um, I or uh, Dr. Lumpert, somebody else speaks, because there's more I want to add, but I'll stop. Well, no, please go ahead. Well, well, <laughs> okay, then I'll just take the rest of the time. Um, so here is what's important to me. After the exposure takes place, see, I, and let me stick with school. We have treated school as if it is the, that it is the, responsible for the education of our children because that's what we've been told. That's the paradigm. That's what school does. I believe that school should be uh, a supplement to the education of our children. Anytime you are allowing an institution that you are not in control of to be in control of what information is shared with your, your child, uh, given to your child, you are making a major error. We parents are responsible for the education of our children. I want to say that again because that, that's not the, the norm. We are responsible for the education of our children. The school is to supplement the education that we give our children. And, 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 and once we accept that responsibility, then we will handle uh, education differently. So I want to say to parents, and I, I know some people say, well, I don't have the time to go. I don't have the time to read. I don't have the time. To... <clears throat> yes, I understand. There are some things that are day-to-day that just uh, soak up all of our time. But I also know that in many ways it has become an excuse for us not to be aggressive about educating our own children. It is easier, much easier for us to send our child to a, a so-called private school or a school of, of, of high academic standards, which, which, by the way, is defined by, by the dominant culture of, of uh, academic standards and not whether or not they're teaching. Because I contend, because I've gone into these schools, that those that are considered to be the, the highest and the best are not doing any better job teaching uh, black children uh, and brown children than those schools that are underperforming academically because they, that's not their interest. They don't really care whether those children learn about uh, uh, black and brown history. So my point here is, parents, you have a responsibility to be the primary teacher of your child. The school then supplements your instruction to your child. And if you allow the school to be the primary, I think you make a major mistake because that's when it becomes the um, the curriculum that they are teaching, whether or not it is inclusive enough. That's when it becomes whether or not the teacher is qualified enough. Uh, but if you take the responsibility uh, to do that, you'll begin to see a difference in not only yourself, 
but in your child. Okay, now I do have to stop you because you have both okay, um, Dr. Right. I and, um, and, and Dr. Joanne about to cut a step. And for those okay, of you who aren't right. familiar with our culture, cut a step means that you've got them very excited and, and, and they right. both want to, they're both in your amen corner. So Joanne, go ahead and, and give your testimony. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's great concept. And as um, most of my career, I've been either a juvenile probation officer or adult probation officer or a, created a, a nonprofit for nonviolence and racial justice. I also train new probation and parole officers in the state of Ohio when they come in. So I definitely teach the, um, the, the importance of exposure, right? Um, yes. And I do think that parents have a responsibility of being the primary education, but I also challenge that in a way because so many of our parents don't have the education to be that primary inf- primary educational influence in their child's life. And so we definitely need to expose the children, but we have to get the education to the to expose them. And so empowering parents that don't have those capabilities to get those capabilities or how to utilize someone else to get that um, for their children, I truly applaud because, yes, school should be secondary. We use antiquated ways for this new progressive society, right, for educating our children, and we wonder why they don't have what they need. And so being able to have something there that has that primary source and that education um, to be able to help this to be able to help the schools it would be great so that they get that foundation of who they are and what we can become however some people don't have that education and we learned that in COVID when we had all these children home with their parents and their parents saying hey you sent these computers home and you sent my children home I send them to school to learn because I don't know and so we have to have those things intact for those for those underprivileged families where the parents are not capable of being that primary that primary educational source but having having as a community cater as a community because the one thing our social security our social workers know is everything is interconnected but having those community people and having community sources and all that to be able to serve as that if the school has to be the primary so i agree with you're saying but we have to have methods in place for those parents who are not capable and not able to be that primary educational force and and i don't want anyone to underestimate i think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying i don't want anyone to underestimate estimate though the importance of good old-fashioned wisdom yes because even though some parents might have not have the level of education I'm going to speak to that in just a moment as it relates to three of us on this line even though they might not have the level of education that makes them think that they can impart knowledge there's so much wisdom that comes from just talking to children about their day-to-day lives and what they can learn by going to the grocery store and going to the voting booth and and learning about history so, and Dr. I, I know that you had a specific a specific comment or question too about HBCUs and whether they play historically black colleges and universities some special role in what we're talking about today. Well, I'm about to explode over here on this phone <laughs> <laughs> because because I'm going to point the finger at the grandparents, the baby boomers, like. Dr. Joe and my and and Akko and me, we have the responsibility to connect the dots because all of a sudden now we got Gen X and we got Gen Y and we got Gen Z and we got millennials and somewhere along the line we have broken the chain of information about who we are, where we came from, how we got here. Integration sounded good. 
we hopped into those schools and we sat in the front row and, and I was one of them trying to be the smartest person in the class. We're not going to get black history from an integrated school system the way we're going to tell it. So get to know your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. The time is now. The time is now. If we've learned anything, we have to speak up and connect the dots for our offspring. And I would say, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to save my comments till last, because I might have to run out of the studio afterwards to protect myself, but especially for those of us who, who have titles and awards and degrees and, and positions, it sometimes makes us perhaps think that, that we have arrived and that the things that happened in the past only happened to, you know, poor people or people who are, we are, we could be one insurrection away from being back on a boat somewhere. Okay. Mm. If the last year hasn't wow. shown you, and if, if any of you haven't seen the movie, The Holocaust, it's somewhat of an old movie now, but it started out in the dining room, as I recall, a very aristocratic family who was having dinner and they were very annoyed by the fact that some of their house guests were talking about these people called the Nazis. And by, by part two of that TV series, they, they, they were being taken out to the wagon. And I'm being very simplistic, and I don't mean at all to minimize what was yet another horrible, horrible um, episode, if you will, in the history of this world. But, but we are blessed to have, to have achieved what we have achieved on the backs of those who, who literally died and hung and swung so we could achieve that. But what we have, we have not yet arrived. Before I went to London for the first time, one of my friends said, I'll be interested in seeing what you have to, what you think about London. He said, because America is a young country and we don't know yet if it's going to work. And I thought, well, that's a really bizarre thing to say, but it's because I wasn't educated on America and the whole global context of these very old governments and very old empires. And America is still new. And there are some who would say that it's not working because it's not working for everyone. And I will also say in the museum I went to yesterday, I was initially annoyed because they talked about other oppressed people as well as us. And I said, okay, is our history getting buried again? And to some extent it is, but it's some of the same dynamics, even when you talk about human trafficking and the fact that that's slavery too. So obviously I am being cued by my engineers here in the station that believe it or not, we have consumed a whole hour of old friends talking. And so thank you to Akko Kambon and thank you to Dr. Joanne Lund thank thank you. for your knowledge and your wisdom and for taking the time on a holiday weekend to join us here. Dr. I, you took time away from your birthday vacation. We appreciate that as well. We appreciate everyone listening today and in particular, everyone who's going to go out and do something, even if it's just small, to be sure that our history doesn't get lost as part of American history on this 4th of July weekend. Everybody enjoy your cookouts. Okay, eat healthy, be healthy. I'm still wearing my mask, but that's just a me thing. But everybody have a great long weekend. Thank you for joining us here on The Window. Be blessed. You as well.